Okay. So Hare Krishna devotees. Um, thank you all for joining us today. We have with us a very lovely, beautiful devotee, Mahamantra Devi Dasi, who I have known for a number of years. <clears throat> but I was just kind of reflecting on over all the years that we've been together at programs, you know, we've never really sat down and actually I've never heard your whole story. I know I know little little bits here and there, and you kind of put the pieces together, but to actually have this opportunity to be with you and and hear really in depth, it's I'm thinking what an opulence, what a wonderful opportunity. <laughs> so thank you so much for um, being willing to come on to our um, our interview, which is the. We've been doing a number of these now, and it's the beauty and the messiness of the Sadika's journey, and it's um, interviews with modern day sages. So originally, the idea was to um, kind of correlate the Sadika journey with um, the hero's journey that Joseph Campbell talks about in, in his work. And we have been doing that on some of the interviews, although it seems like that's been falling away a little bit, I think is, you know, but but um, anyway, that we do have that as an underlying theme as to be really looking at this journey as um, becoming something greater than we were to start with and becoming true heroes um, in the sense of the word of a hero is doing something outside of their smallness and doing something to help others in a big way so that's every sadhaka has amazing potency to change not only themselves but the world even just by sitting and chanting in um in a kunj somewhere <laughs> so mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a very very powerful life that we have taken up or and we have also we will meet with lots of tests and adversities that and that's part of what we're look going to be looking at today is the <clears throat> the beauty being the beautiful things that come out of the, the the process but also the struggles to get there but how those struggles actually are gifts because they make us stronger they make us see things we wouldn't have seen um, they help to change our angle of vision so I'll start with a question of Mamantra um, in your early life. Were there any clues for you looking back that um, your life was met for something different than just the ordinary everyday life that most people live? Yes, I, I think so. Mm -hmm. um, from very early on, I had a sense that there there was something more and I always saw spirits and and different things which kind of told me that there was another world beyond this world and I I was fascinated with death I remember sitting in the bathtub when I was maybe six years old and just it hit me that everything dies not everybody, but like everything dies and it's all temporary. And wow. 
I just, I remember sitting there and thinking, well, then what is there? What else is there? And I'd ask my parents, what, what happens after you die? And of course they said, you go to heaven. And that was never enough. So I would think about it a lot. What happens when you die? What happens next? And it would keep me up at night to the point where I would have a lot of trouble sleeping, just thinking about death, which is kind of dark now that I'm (laughs) saying it out loud. Um, And I would get up and I would go to my parents and say, and lie to them and say, I couldn't sleep because I was having scary dreams about burglars or this or that or different things. But it was actually, I was fixated on what happens after death. And at that time we were, my, my parents were married and we went to Catholic church. I went to a Catholic school. So there were some ideas about another life but it was very vague. There wasn't any details that were provided. And one thing that I did latch on to was the personality of Jesus and the personality of, of Mary. And mm-hmm. as time went on, fast forward to my teenage years, my parents divorced, my mom left us, um, she, I realize now was bipolar, alcoholic, had drug abuse problems and was abusive. I, now I realize she was doing the best she could with, mm. with what she had, but we lived with my dad. He was a single dad and he always practiced yoga. He had his own yoga practice for physical reasons to be flexible because he was a bodybuilder also. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we always prayed every day before dinner, we said our hail Marys and our fathers and thanked God for our food. And, but more and more, I, I wanted more answers. I wanted to know more. So I started exploring, um, different ideas And I also started exploring drugs for, I wish I could say for the purposes of mind expansion, but I was actually very depressed, which will kind of be a theme throughout this talk Mm -hmm. is is depression and um, mental illness. So I was taking a lot of drugs and still trying to figure out what spiritual life was. And I had a really good friend named Aurora and we would get together and we would talk about spiritual life. That's what we called it, just spiritual life. And we'd have these long, long conversations about um, what it all is. It was all made up, just so you know, it was all made up. It was just ideas that we came up with like, we knew that there was a world outside of this one, that this was all temporary, that this was all kind of not the end all be all. It wasn't our goal to um, accrue material things. And so we finally 
decided that we we needed to renounce the world. We were 16, by the way. <laughs> um, I was just going to interrupt and say you were making it up, but you were right on, you know, you were right on target with everything you just said. There was a well, knowing, there was a knowing from, and of course that that's, you know, evidence that this isn't your first time doing this. And it, that knowledge was there in the chitta and you were, mm -hmm. you were pulling from it. And I'm sure you're a friend or as well. And this, and, and I'll speak more about it in a moment, but that was a blessing and a curse at the same time, mm. um, you know, with meeting the devotees, but her family especially was very new age, very uh, explorative, and um, they were part of this church universal and triumphant, oh, yeah. which was located here in Montana, which is where I am. I am in a barn right now. <laughs> um, so she had some background knowledge. And actually, I would go to her house all the time because her parents were very freewheeling with the drugs and the kind of dancing and just very new age. So yeah, freewheeling. Um, but one day I went there and there was a stack of books on the floor, which I'd never seen before. So I was kind of looking through this stack of books and I found this handmade book and it was called the ABCs of Krishna. And I was like, oh, Krishna, okay, what's this? And it was different cutout pictures, you know, different, I guess, BBT, maybe calendar pictures or something, mm -hmm. but pasted onto um, construction paper and then sort of tied together. So it was A was for something I don't remember, but the two things I do remember was B was for butter and it was the picture of, it's, it's really a classic picture of baby Krishna sitting on the sort of black and white floor with the butter, eating the butter and he's looking right at you. Mm -hmm. So that was very striking. And later on there was, maybe it was G is for gopis. I'm not exactly sure, but it was a, a picture of, of the Rasa dance. And I looked at that picture, I think the longest because it's Krishna with all these, these women dancing in a circle, which was what we love to do dance. And I, I looked at it and I remember having this sort of feeling come at me that was, this is God. And then it kind of went away, but it, um, yeah, was this strong feeling of wow. who is this? Oh, this is God. Okay. And then put the book down, didn't think about it again. Well, by that time, my friend Aurora and I had dropped out of high school. Uh, I had tried going to probably three different high schools, never finished any year. So by the time I fully dropped out, I basically had an eighth grade education. I'd never uh, really participated in school. 
I thought it was just the stupidest thing. I thought they just herded us around like cattle and didn't care about us. And I begged my dad to send me away somewhere to learn about natural medicine for some reason. I don't know, I had this idea, but so we dropped out of school and we decided we need to work hard and we need to find the people in the world who like to sing and dance for spiritual things, like not like flamenco dancing or boogie woogie. We had this idea that through singing and dancing, you would come to a higher consciousness, that you would elevate your consciousness, that you would sort of escape your body and transcend. So we made a plan. I thought we should go, it's so dumb now, but I thought we should go to England, to the Lake District. Why that is, God only knows because I had this book and it had pictures of the Lake District in England and I thought it was beautiful. Fun fact, years later when I was uh, in college, I did go <laughs> to the Lake District, but that's another thing. And she thought, Aurora thought, we should go to Hawaii. She said, I, I know there's loads of spiritual people in Hawaii. We've got to go there. There's temples there. There's people there. We got to go check it out. So we, we settled on, on Hawaii and we worked hard. We saved up money. We went to the um, travel agency, bought our tickets. We were both 17, which now I'm thinking, is that even like allowed now? Wouldn't you have to have a parent? But in any case, it was uh, that summer I turned 17, got our tickets, and then <laughs> packed up our backpacks, got on the plane, and I think it was August of uh, 1996 that we landed in Oahu and just took off walking. And our plan was to ask everybody we met if they knew people who liked to sing and dance. Brilliant idea, just the best plan. Now, again, I think about it, two 17 year old girls on their own, wandering around like, woo, what are we gonna do is crazy. I would never dream, now my daughter is, 16, I would never dream of allowing that. But in any case, um, we did it. And this was when sort of magic started happening. We indeed started asking people, do you know who likes to chant and dance or sing and dance? We didn't know about chanting, sing and dance. And everybody said, uh, the Hare Krishnas. And we said, oh, oh, okay, never heard of these things. Um, but yeah, you got to find the Hare Krishnas. They're always out here singing and, and dancing about. Um, those are probably the people you, you want to meet. And 
and we also needed to eat. We were vegetarians, mostly because I just didn't want the feeling of dead animals in my body. It was no spiritual reason. I come from a family of hunters, mm. so there was no like clue to be vegetarian, but they led us to this um, health food store, they being the random kind people along the way to this health food store, which was run by, I, I want to say his name is Krishna Das or something, but he had kind of a, his own mission in Hawaii, maybe still has. And we went to this health food store, got some food and the man at the checkout counter uh, was helping us. And he had this tattoo of a rag doll and just the night before, I had a dream that I would meet a man with a ragdoll tattoo and I oh would need gosh. to ask him. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> kidding. Uh, I needed to ask him where to go, you know, like our next step to find these Hare Krishna people. And indeed, he told us uh, to go to the temple, the um, Iskon temple on Oahu. And he sort of told us the bus to get on and the general direction. We had no idea, but so we got on the bus, kind of got lost. And as we were lost, met a really nice woman who knew the whole history of the temple, knew where it was and she said oh I'll take you there and I'll, I'll make sure you get there and then I'll get on back on my bus and we said okay let's go so this nice woman brought us to the Hare Krishna temple and wow. we we walked onto the property and the first thing I saw was the food for life truck and I, airbrush painted on the back of the truck was that same picture of baby Krishna eating butter and looking directly at me that I'd seen in this handmade book and I, I kind of stopped dead in my tracks and I, I remember turning to Aurora and saying that's it that's it that's who I saw this is it we're here and indeed we were there because we went in and talked to a couple different devotees. There were lots of young, young devotees there and had a conversation, you know, kind of got preached to, but everything we were told, we were like, that's what we, that's what we thought. That's what we've been talking about. Yeah, we're not this material body. There is a bigger spiritual life. And yeah. And then they they took us in to see Panchatattva. And I remember I couldn't see anything. All I could see was dazzle, just dazzling lights. But it was, I mean, they're incredibly beautiful. There's Jagannath, Baladev, Subhadra, and Panchatattva, but I couldn't see them. 
And long story shortish, shorter, we stayed. That was it. They said, do you have any place to stay? We said, no, this is what we were looking for. (laughs) This was kind of our goal. And we both, we both stayed. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, it kind of is. And that, that was kind of where the blessing and the curse started was because it did seem so natural. It was such a relief to be in the right place, to be with the right people. I wasn't a black sheep anymore. I wasn't just this kid with weird ideas. I wasn't just this person who was always kind of somewhere else, not knowing where. I was a person who was, fitting in with other spiritual seekers, but the curse part of it was, or is still remains, uh, that I can often be a blind follower Mm. and, and not think deeply enough or not, um, go deeply enough in the philosophy, but just kind of take it as, yeah, that's just the way it is. This is it. Mm. So something I'm working on. (laughs) So I'm sure it served you in the beginning to have that. I know, I know for myself that it was really helpful to just get on board and just kind of follow the current. But you say that you're, you know, but yet you've, you've done a lot of things that I see that have been against the grain of the, you know, I mean, even coming to Gumarash and taking shelter. That was, I mean, that was, you had to think about that, you know, to make a, to break away from the big group to, to do that. So anyway, I'll let you unpack more of that, but um, do you see that there is a lot more thinking and a lot more? Yes. 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 Um, And yes, as you said, I, Definitely by by the mercy of, of Guru Maharaj and, and Subal, I think just a couple of weeks ago had a conversation with Padmanabha Swami about um, having a guru who is Shastric, who is delving into Shastra and really reading the books and realizing the books for himself has Subal said it, and then I realized, oh, me too, has allowed him and me to do the same thing, to read the book, read more carefully and in depth and apply it to ourselves. So yes, indeed. And, and I just realized I did not read your bio at the beginning. So I'm just gonna tell everybody just the highlights that Ma Mantra sure. is married to this wonderful devotee named Sue Ball that she just mentioned for the last 21 years. And they live in Raleigh, North Carolina. She's visiting family in Montana and she didn't have a signal at her house. So she had to go up to a mountaintop and find a place to get internet. So she's in a barn on top of a mountain and her husband's around somewhere. 
And she has three beautiful, amazing children. Um, her youngest daughter is 16. She mentioned that before, that Karuna. And then they have a son that's 20, Jai, and another son who is 18, Gore. And they've actually been launched. They're not living in the house anymore. They're in the neighborhood, but successfully launched, which is um, huge. And they have two dogs, um, Ruth and Leroy, right? So, um, <laughs> and she is giving her story now, so I won't go into that much, but I just wanted to say that this young woman who, a young girl who dropped out of high school with an eighth grade education, went back to school at the age of 27, and she's earned a master's degree in the, in the arts of teaching. Um, and at 35, she got her master's. And she teaches all subjects to third graders at a public elementary school. And she does lots of things like gardening. She, had, she loves to garden. She has a beautiful garden in their house. She grows herbs, flowers, fruits, and vegetables for their beautiful deities, Radhashara Bihari and Giri Raj. And she loves to share and learn gardening tips. So any of you that are on the call today and you want to extend your your um, relationship, you can ask her about gardening and she'll be happy as anything to have that discussion. So, and the name of her garden is Maha Yarden Organic Garden. So that gives you a little sense of her fluidity and her, <laughs> you know, and her creativity, both of which I see a lot of in her. So sorry to interrupt, but I totally spaced out. No. So I wanted to, to add that into. So going back to where you are in, in you're in Hawaii now. You've gotten mm -hmm. to Hawaii and you've joined the temple and you're like gung-ho, all in. Um, and you were saying kind of like blind follower. So mm -hmm. <clears throat> do you want to talk about how that blind following might have led you in ways that the messiness that got you into maybe something that wasn't the way you wanted to go or was the blind following just something you had to transcend at some point i i think it's it's something and like i said i'm i'm still working on on that not just hearing something and believing it, but actually processing it. And um, I think before I talk more about that, um, it's important for me to say that, you know, I, I really did have a lot of emotional problems and I, I attributed them to having a traumatic childhood, you know, experiencing a lot of trauma, seeing, hearing, feeling things that no child should ever have to. And my shelter was um, intoxication. So as soon as I, you know, entered this this new world, this home, as soon as I got home <laughs> at the temple there, um, I thought that's it. I don't I don't ever have to take drugs again, and I will be able to kind of dissolve this trauma. I didn't even call it trauma at the time, but I will dissolve all these bad things. They will just go away. 
because now I can transcend. I can chant Hare Krishna and that's it. I'll just take off on the transcendental Hare Krishna airplane and all those horrible things will just disappear under the clouds. And that was actually fine for the three years that I lived in various temples. Uh, so I, I did spend a year in Hawaii. Aurora is now our teak. She's still practicing. She lives wow. in Alachua with her beautiful family. Um, so awesome. we both stayed with it. But um, I, I also had this sense that all the problems in the world are just because people don't know about Krishna, mm -hmm. which is true. But the idea was in my mind was that if I could just tell them, then all their problems will magically disappear. And what a wonderful world we would live in. So quite naive, <laughs> but I did have an idea that, okay, now I have this, let's go save the world and left Hawaii which was beautiful, <laughs> as you can imagine, went to Toronto and it was, there were so many bad omens just on the way to get to the temple in, in Toronto with um, Radha Shiratura Gopina. It was not a, a good trip, but I, my idea was I'll go there. I will talk to everybody. I'll tell them about Krishna. It'll be great. And, and it was, why, it was, why Toronto? What, but I mean, of all the temples, cause there are a lot of temples okay, in the yes. world. <laughs> I, I should say that. So the, the temple president I had in Hawaii was deported back to Canada and ended up in Toronto. And he, he invited me to go, mm, you know, okay. it's this huge, I think a, probably an old cathedral, but this just huge place, you would need at least 20 full-time people just to manage the building, what mm. to speak of everything else. So he invited me to go. And that, that was an interesting time. I think I was only there maybe four months and I had a marriage proposal which wasn't Subal. It was not Subal. <laughs> Subal is the only one for me. Yes, it was not. And it was not mutual, but I was like, oh, I guess this is what I'm going to have to do because Krishna, I don't know, just follow the orders. Mm. Fortunately, this will sound weird. Fortunately, I caught on fire. Oh and gosh. sustained third degree burns on my, on the left side of my body. It actually singed my hair and kind of stopped at my face, which is pretty fortunate. But um, wow. I, yeah, wow. that was, was that great. Cooking? Was that a cooking thing? It was a cooking thing. I was cooking oh. halava and was sort of bent over this, um, candy stove, which are low to the ground, maybe yes. two and a half feet off the ground, very large, bent over and wow. 
I just suddenly started feeling like this stinging and lo and behold, I was burning. My sari was burning off right there in the kitchen. Oh my gosh. And how did, how did you get, I mean, was someone there with you to help put the fire out? What, what happened? Yes, there were these twins there who were from North Carolina and their mom worked in a burn center. And so one of the twins pushed me down and the other one poured dirty water on me. I, I don't know why I remember that, but poured dirty water on me. And then I spent a, a little bit of time in the hospital there, but needed to go back to the US. And so so just, the so the people who were in the kitchen with you were twins who had a mother who worked in a burn center and mm-hmm. they knew what to do. They knew what to do. So that's not, I mean it's just to me that's amazing. I mean yes, what are the chances of being catching on fire and being with people that know what to do? Yes. Yeah. And that's yeah. It was one of the best things that ever happened to me. I mean, I have a long, long list of best things that ever happened to yeah, me. Yeah, so that, that's, I wanna hear the, the, how the when bad is good. Yes, when bad is good. And I knew immediately that catching on fire was going to save me from wow. this sort of random, devo- marrying a random devotee. And by that time I was 18, I, yeah. So then um, um, Beer Krishna Maharaj was very, very kind to me. He was there and he arranged for me to go from Toronto to um, New Goloka, which is in Hillsboro, North Carolina. And that was, or is, remains his um, home base. It is also where the twins that I mentioned lived with their mother and Beer Krishna Maharaj arranged for me to stay with this woman who worked at the burn center and she would sort of take me to the doctor and allow me to recover because I had to be on this whole cocktail of drugs, things for not getting an infection, things for pain, things for not itching, So it was this whole cocktail of drugs that made me very loopy, very, very loopy. And it honestly took me a couple years, I think, to fully recover from from taking that. But that's how I ended up in in Hillsboro, North Carolina, Nukaloka Temple. And that, that was also wonderful. I, I think I've heard lots of devotees say that their time spent in the ashram was one of the most valuable times of their life. And honestly, it really was. I, I think Subal and I both, both agree that that is the set the basis for our whole entire life from there. So that gave us the foundation. And as I said, I think I only lived in ashrams maybe four years, but that set the foundation because 
I, I wasn't peeling back the layers of, of my chitta. I wasn't acknowledging that I might have other issues that I need to deal with before I could fully delve into the intricacies and nuances of, of what it means to be a devotee of Krishna. But for that time, I could wake up, go to Mangalarti, praise the spiritual master, do Tulsi Puja, all these wonderful things, chant Japa, dress Radha Golokananda, cook for them, and, and learn how to be a devotee, even if it was on the surface. Surface, although I did have many amazing experiences, but I'm just kind of learned the, the culture of, of being a devotee of Krishna and the culture of cooking for Radha and Krishna and living for them. Um, yeah, that, that was an amazing time. And then one day, I guess I'll just jump into it. One night I was dressing Radha Golokananda and I had just finished and I was about to say a final good night. And I said, I, I might want to get married one day. So if you know of somebody, just, just let me know, but you know, only if you want to. And said good night, took my Maha Sweets contraband, we weren't supposed to take them, hid them in my sari, went back to my room, got ready, sat down. I was just about to enjoy my stolen burfi when there's a knock on my door, knock, knock, knock. And it was the venerable um, mother Krishna Priya. And so I quickly hid my burfi. Nobody <laughs> needs to know <laughs> that I was eating the burfi. And, and I thought, oh, I'm in trouble because I was always getting in trouble this was kind of like a whole lifelong thing, always getting in trouble just for doing stupid things. Um, I don't know, but any, in any case, I thought I was getting in trouble again. And she came in and she didn't have her, you're getting in trouble face on. It was a new face that I wasn't accustomed to. And she said, I need to ask you something. Um, what do you think of Sue Ball? Uh, and I was like, I don't know, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking what? I just had this conversation with Radical Okananda about <laughs> getting married. And I, I never talked to Subal because we were very, very strict at that time. Mm -hmm. I didn't look at him, you know, it was very much, the girls talk to the girls and the boys talk to the boys and you don't want to mix the butter in the skillet <laughs> because <laughs> who knows what will happen. So we took that very, very seriously. And really, I, I sort of had thought about him before, just like from the periphery, because mm -hmm. he was like the only boy I knew. Um, so yeah, I played it cool. Like, I don't know what, who? <laughs> and the next thing I knew, um, 
she had our charts done, which I never even saw because I don't know. I just didn't think it, it was important for me. And we had to wait. It felt like eternity, but we had to wait some time before our charts were done so we could talk to each other. So it was this time of like, he knew that I, we might be associating as, I don't know if everybody used that word, but associating, not dating, associating <laughs> with each other. So we would, it seemed like every corner I turned there, he was, and he had the same experience. Like every corner he turned there, I was, and it was this awkward, like, do you want to look at you? But then we finally got to talk and the famous place to associate at um, New Galoka was this gazebo, this open air kind of in the middle of the property where everybody could see and watch. And, and that's where we went to meet. And I finally got to talk to him and it was immediate. I just knew, I just knew that this is, this is my person. And we've both said at different times, um, our only regret is that we didn't get married sooner. But anyways, we, we did wait some, some months um, until we, we got married. Nice. And I think that is when the real messiness began because when there's another person there, um, it, it, forces the heart to even either soften or it, it's exposed that maybe one's heart is not so soft and all these uh, different layers kind of are exposed you know like living in the ashram you can I should speak for myself when I lived in the ashram I could shut myself off from others and avoid really working on myself, self, on my problems, um, because I, I could just chant Hare Krishna and avoid other people, but being married, that's not, that's absolutely not possible. Absolutely. Um, no, that's actually, that, that's really the, 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 the purpose, as far as I'm concerned, the purpose of marriage is to really help like what you were saying when you were living in the ashram you didn't feel like you were peeling away the layers from your chitta or getting you know really doing the cleansing as much as you know I mean you you were learning a lot you were getting a foundation in bhakti which was so important and then when Krishna saw that your foundation was strong then okay now you're going to go in the grahasta ashram and you're going to work on these layers <laughs> peeling the layers off the cleansing's going to get accelerated and it's you know so that's when grahasta life is at its best when we have a partner that really we love and we feel like we're friends and we can safely do that work together where we you know we have an environment that that shelters us and um yeah, it's messy. It's really messy stuff, but it's, it's, that's, that's, you're doing exactly what you should be. 
so many other things that you're doing in Girl House to Life, like raising children and doing your outreach and hosting sadhus and all the things that you do. But yeah, there's that underlying all the time cleansing, cleansing. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. So what a what a, a beautiful and that you've you know you you both have stuck with it, even though the you know there's probably been times like every marriage that there's times where we're like can't do this anymore it's and it's because of our own stuff coming up yes because when when that dissidence sort of happens in the brain and even physically I think the natural response is is to avoid it it's uncomfortable it's very uncomfortable but that's when the growth happens right and and that truly was when when my growth began. And I'm so, so grateful that I have a, a partner in Bhakti who we, we didn't really go through like this infatuation stage where we were just like madly in love or something like that. We, we stuck with that um, Bhakti foundation and I don't think it's the first life that we've spent together because <laughs> it just isn't. Let me just say that. Just trust me. We've done this before. Um, but it it also that was the time when it became clear that that I I did have issues with depression and I I could go into a very dark place. Uh, And this is something that Bir Krishna Maharaj saw. I I was in complete denial. Devotees don't get depressed. Devotees chant and be happy. So depression is for the non-devotees. But he, he saw that and he gave me different affirmations to say and different, um, kind of things to visualize, <laughs> mm. which was very, very insightful of Veer Krishna Maharaj to do that. But again, it, it really came to light uh, when I got married and we very quickly had, had a child, Jai, who he just, he was born this like outgoing lover of life which amazed me because I always thought I, have, I would have children like me who were scared, timid, innately hated themselves, were like just be seen and not heard and preferably don't even be seen, just be like nothing because that's, that's how I always felt. Um, I still struggle with it, to be honest. <laughs> Um, But I had this beautiful little child who was a lover of the world. And that that was an an amazing turning point for me because it it showed the contrast of what was happening inside of me and what could happen in a healthy individual. So I would like to say that that's when I really started to work on my depression, but I, I didn't, um, I just kind of saw what was possible and, uh, we soon thereafter, well, let me just say I, we had three children in three years, which was kind of a whirlwind. And again, this was very messy because I think I was kind of a, um, 
Hindu sort of devotee at that time and was very not specific at all with my goal. It was, you know, we love Sita and Ram. We do. Hanuman. We love Vishnu is amazing. Radha and Krishna. Lord Chaitanya. But all these kind of sort of separate things, amazing aspects of, of the absolute, but no idea that there was uh, a path. It was just, I'm sort of part of this universe of, of Krishna. And, you know, I would chant when I could and, but always went to the temple, brought my three little kids to the temple and would go to all the programs and offer all my food. And I think I've heard other devotees say this or Padmanabha Swami talked about this a lot um, in the recent programs we had that, you know, there's an idea, you just chant, you follow these principles and then you get your ticket to go back home, back to Godhead. And I, I suppose it was okay at the time because I was really in survival mode, like just keeping these children alive. Mm. Like, let me just keep these children alive while battling my own demons. Cause I, I will say one of my, and this is not a healthy thing, but one of my motivations as a parent has, has always been, don't traumatize my children. Like, don't do what my mom did. And again, she did her best. She's, she's mentally ill, but don't do what my mom did. Give them a better life. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely <laughs> tried to do that over time. Wow. Yeah. 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 It's, a, you know, it is interesting that, you know, I think your um, kind of, you know, coming to grips with depression in, in your um, grahasta life, I think is pretty common from what I can see with devotees that somehow in the, like in the ashram, keeping busy. I know that because I also had experienced a lot of depression myself and um I kept so busy in the ashram with services and even you know on my days off from book distribution I'd, I'd always have you know DVC but just keep my mind from going that place from going into the dark places that um and yes I think when I became a mother it was because you had all that time to that you couldn't stay busy. I mean, you were busy, but it wasn't, but the mind wasn't so as engaged as, um, as it was with all the other kinds of service. So I also had that same similar experience with motherhood really did bring out a lot of, you know, dissatisfaction and um, just, yeah, it was just not, and, and knowing that, Bhakti was the solution, but I wasn't at a level high enough yet to be able to be, to take full advantage of that all the time. And, but I could see from the experiences I had where 
I did have a lot of engagement, that that was not, you know, I wasn't running away from it, but it was just showing me that, yeah, when the mind is, when my mind would have something, and you know, that I valued doing, and it had, it just, it, it wouldn't be perseverating on all the, the things that um, it would when, you know, things calm down and um, it was more quiet. So I don't know if that was your experience, but. That, no, you, you said it exactly. That's exactly right. You know, knowing who I could be um, kept me going, but I, I you, yeah, I didn't have access to it mm. because I was denying what was happening. And, you know, it's not a matter of, of identifying, like I am not depression, but somehow I have this body and this mind that, that has it. And that is something that has to be dealt with before or during as, as we hear integrating complexities. I'm so grateful for that. Yes. (laughs) Integrating complexities. Yes. Which is perfect. Yeah, those complexities do have to be integrated into the practice because I think for me, I I don't think, I know that I have the tendency to to go from one thing to the next. It's either darkness or light. I'm either in it and I'm I'm fully practicing and I'm really praying and my sadhana is great by by the mercy of Krishna or it's darkness but in the darkness um I don't have the wherewithal to even make those moves and more and more it's it's becoming you know like the um milk and ink the more milk you pour in the ink gradually it's just milk so I'm yeah, there's more and more milk as, as time goes on, but, but I definitely had the tendency to be one or the other, like not integrating those things. Um, and, and yeah, by, by the mercy of the most merciful Nityananda, I've been able to see that more and more and, and pray during those times and take measures to, to counteract the imbalances in my brain and, and identify like, yeah, that's, that's my brain. This is what I have. So I have to deal with this in this life. I'm not going to be able to, to make those, that spiritual advancement. I'm not going to be able to make advancement, um, without dealing with that first. Um, and I've, I've had a lot of help over the the years, um, with that. Of of course, Subal has been very kind and patient and generous, yeah. yeah. And yeah. I think he's, he's lost patience sometimes and which is completely understandable. And, you know, I have to remind him if I, I wouldn't be this way, if I could, I'm not choosing this, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I do want to talk about meeting Guru Maharaj, if that's okay. In the last sure. few minutes, yeah, there's sure. maybe. Yeah. No, but thank you so much for, for sharing something that you know, I think is more com more common than we can ever imagine. I mean, even you know, in the in the greater society, one out of three people I think identify as having clinical depression. So that's a a huge amount of 
people. And I think within the devotee community, we have probably similar statistics. And, um, and it's not something that devotees feel comfortable all the time talking about because, yeah, it's like this idea, if I'm practicing bhakti, I shouldn't have depression. Well, it's like having diabetes or having, you know, I, I think we need to change the whole idea of what, you know, it's an illness, you know, and it, it's, it's an illness of the psychic body as opposed to the physical body, but it, it's still an illness and it can be managed um, and, and pract bhakti practices can, can be very helpful and doing, you know, Ayurveda or whatever, you know, things mm -hmm. that we find. But um, I, I just really want to thank you for having, you know, the courage to talk about it because um, I know a lot of devotees wouldn't, wouldn't feel comfortable talking about it and you know it's mm -hmm. it's it it's it needs devotees need to be able to to talk about their struggles in a way that are um real and um you know and we can help each other but you know if we don't know that somebody's struggling you're not going to go up and say oh, have you ever had depression i'd like to talk to you, <laughs> you know it's like right you know mm -hmm. and and that was kind of my main motivation to do this interview. We, we've all come here. We've all come to this place. We all know how incredible Guru Maharaj is and, and, and the Sangha. We all know how incredible that is. And I thought maybe a contribution I could make is, yeah, kind of talking about the struggles within the struggles. Yes. Yes. As, and we don't we don't talk about it because yeah, there's this this idea that well, if you say you're depressed, then you're identifying with with your body. You're identifying with the self that is not real. No, it's absolutely not real. It's it's not your eternal position as as a spiritual spark but perhaps it's what you have to deal with as a sadhaka. Yes. And, and, and you're exactly right. I, it came to me like, well, if I'm feeling this way, despite anything I would like to feel otherwise, perhaps others are too. Absolutely. And mm -hmm. yeah, yeah no, just and maybe to reach out. And one of the best things I have is a core group of friends that I can touch base with, I can, I can talk to, I can be vulnerable with, that I can grow with. I'm gonna drop some names, Gurungi Priya, Gopal Nandini, <laughs> Madan Gopal, Subal, Krishna Chaitanya, yeah, amongst others. Um, but we've sort of been together for about 20 years and I feel like I've grown up with them and I, I don't think I would have made it this far without having them. Yeah. Yeah. Great support yeah. group and a wonderful group of devotees and um, yeah. Watching all of you kind of really mature into your, in your, in your lives has been just, 
you know, very um, faith building to me. Same. And we were friends already, you know, just through raising kids together, trying to be devotees and surviving um, before meeting um, Guru Maharaj. And uh, yeah, it, it was Gurungi Pri and, and Madan Gopal that first invited me to a program. And, and it was all around that time that I was starting to kind of think, like have serious doubts about the fall of the jiva. That was just really discouraging me. It was another thing keeping me up at night, like way back mm -hmm. when I was a kid worrying about death. Okay, the death thing was pretty, like I felt good about that. But the new thing was if I die, let's say I die and I go to the, the spiritual abode and I'm having a good time. And then all of a sudden I think, wait, maybe I don't want to be here. Maybe I'm God. And then I fall down again. Then what is the point? What it, what is the point? Uh, so it was all about these serious doubts. But at the, by that time, I'd already identified like, I'm a Hare Krishna. That's it. What else am I going to do with my life? you know, who else am I going to be with, but this is not going to work, this, this idea. Um, again, all kind of happened at the same time that we, we met Guru Maharaj, and I started, this is over like a four-year period. I started going to school. I realized I'm not dumb. I'm not stupid, because I really thought I was. Eighth grade education, like, that's not very cool to talk about. Um, I'm not dumb. I, I do have something I can contribute to the world. And lots of things in combination together allowed me to access the philosophy on a much deeper, broader and deeper level and become more focused on a path of bhakti, you know, obviously through through the mer mercy of a, a guru. <laughs> that's right. That's the only way we can get that. And I'm yeah, grateful that um, I I have that and come in, came into contact with with someone who could focus my attention on where to go and um, yeah, so all those awesome things sort of happened at the same time and have have continued <laughs> over the years. Yeah, yeah, just I remember those those years and you guys kind of were coming because Gurungi Priya would invite you and also exactly. like there was a, a and how Krishna or how Guru Maharaj captured your heart so it was it was really very um sweet to watch that especially I think because he was so nice and I, I know that just is kind of a lame thing to say because he is who he is. So to focus on just being nice is kind mm. of, wait, what? There was so much more, but genuine. Yeah. And not, not expecting anything, not putting on any pretenses of I'm the guru. So I have to be a certain way, which I can only imagine the pressure that, that some people in that position have felt, you know, mm. just kind of being put into the position of, guru or acharya and 
yeah, kind of having to mold into that role, but saying, oh, he really, really is what he is. He really is the thing yes. that I've been yes. looking for. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. And the la- can I just say one last messy thing yes, that happened? Yes, of course. It just, this, this is the most recent and it's, it's still quite raw, but yeah. So Jai, my dearest sons, Jai and Gore moved out of our house, which is what is, it's the natural thing, right? Kids move mm-hmm. out, but they moved out in September and <sighs> it's been hard. Yeah, that was some dark days, but, you know, I tried to be one way with the world, but inside, it's been very hard. I've had to be very prayerful, but a cool thing that has happened, again, by the the mercy of of Lord Natinanda, is that I've, I've come to realize that we can't invest ourselves. And I should say, I can't invest myself in relationships that are, that do come and go. And that hopefully in, <laughs> in moving forward, I can move um, towards a life of loving, loving Krishna, loving, Radharani and serving them rather than investing all my life in in serving humans on the earth and that's not to say I'm not going to serve them and and I'm not going to love them but it is temporary so it's been a lot of pain being separated from them being home all the time is that was that the experience of just feeling yeah through that pain you know I I think and again, that wasn't very eloquent. That sounded very nasty and like, oh, by them, I'm moving on. Um, but through that pain, I, I, I have sort of been developing these, these po- very positive realizations. And Radha Shard Bihari came to our house, which I can't, I still, they're the most beautiful very very beautiful deities I wish we, we had it we could have put them up on the, the I know I'm so sorry do, yes yeah that we need to start doing things like that in the interviews that devotees can show their special beloved deities and mm-hmm. screen share a nice feature of zoom but mm-hmm. yeah but yeah I, I feel more balanced because I think I was expecting them to be a certain way I was expecting them to sort of be chanting a lot by now and just like full on devotees, but they're having their own process, which is their own process. And I have to stick to my own process. Like um, the other day, Jai said, we we were eating lunch at the house, Padmanabha Swami was there, Subal Jai. And Jai said, I should go to India one day and, and tour around and you know, his idea was kind of like, have a good time. And then I said, and eventually you should sit down and just, just chant. And uh, Maharaj said, first, his parents need to just sit down and chant. 
<laughs> this is Padmanabha Swami. I was just going to let everybody know. <laughs> like they, oh, they, it, <laughs> but it was always in, always with the most love that's, and yeah, truth. Totally, totally. But yeah, and that's the truth that I'm realizing is that I, I don't need to just practice bhakti to set an example. I need to practice bhakti because I need to practice bhakti. <laughs> mm, nice. Wow. Yeah. And <clears throat> so you've been, you just finished hosting Pamanava Swami. You had him for a couple weeks and you had him for a couple weeks earlier. And um, what I just quickly, what was your, what was your experience of doing, doing that service? So this is, uh, right, this most recent time was the third time. Um, the first time was last, last year, year, March, and he ended up getting stuck with us. It was our greatest treasure and blessing, but it was at the same time that travel, you know, travel was banned, coronavirus was definitely a worldwide pandemic. So he stuck with that. The experiences at seeing who I would like to be, for one thing, uh, having a true sadhu in the house is <laughs> enlightening in the way that I can see a reflection of, of a yeah, of, of a sadhu. And it makes me feel like a more open light person. Um, and I think the, the first time I was still carrying a lot of like insecurities and I was so awkward and not able to fully uh, kind of experience his association and the most recent times, it, it's almost immediate. He comes into our house and it's a new environment. Mm -hmm. You know, he reminds us, this is, this is Giri Raj Mandir. He never, he never says your house or the house. Giri Raj Mandir. It's, it's a temple. It's a sacred place for Radha Shard Bihari and, and, and Giri Raj. And with him there, it most certainly is. Yeah. Yeah. So, awesome. yeah. Um, yeah, just, I just, I actually, I, cause we, we got him after you first. So we've gotten the, the mercy here as well to be able to host him. And last, after he was here last year, I told Samadhi, I said, don't ever expect that we're going to get that kind of mercy again. It's never going to happen. It's just, I guess it's kind of my way of not getting, you know, having high expectations that something's going to happen again. But I really didn't think, you know, maybe he'd come back and spend a few days, but, and then I did, we actually got to have him for um, like a month and a half again this year. And what a blessing. I know it's like Krishna knows exactly what we need, how we need it, when we need it. And I'm just it's true. And yeah, I, I didn't think it would happen again either because we're really such nonsenses. We're just <laughs> we're not yeah. ordinary people. Totally. Like I understand if if you chant Hare Krishna with 
any feeling at all. You're not an ordinary person, but in a lot of ways, we're very ordinary people, devotees. Um, but still he came back. What mercy is that? What I can think of a thousand other places for him to stay that would seem more appropriate, but I don't even know. I think it's, I always say it's Subal. He's his sincerity through his sincerity and devotion. And I'm just there kind of following <laughs> along. Can I come too? <laughs> well, I, th I think that's just uh, one of your, one of the qualities I've always seen in you is you do have a, I think a very authentic humility about you. So and I'm not going to let you argue about that because I'm just going to leave it, leave it at that okay. and, and let all of our viewers make that. Um, let's see. Oh, Madan Gopal said, love you, Ma Mantra. Being close friends makes hearing your story even more rich. And thank you so much for sharing. So um, that's from your dear Madan yes. Gopal. Um, question, can you say something about your trip to Madhuban? Well, you just choked me up, Madden. <laughs> <laughs> what minute? What realizations did you have spending time in Guru Maharaj's ashram? Yeah. Uh, yeah so. <laughs> and and I hope it's it's appropriate for me to say this. I I think it is in, in the association of of my Sangha, my people. I haven't met you all, but you are my people and I am your people. We are, <laughs> we are our people. Um, you know, when I, when I really sort of officially took shelter of, of Guru Maharaj, and I, I do want to add that I got my name um, from Kavi Chandraswamy. He, sorry, just one second, but he convinced me to chant Hare Krishna. Mm. He, he really, he really was my, my mantra guru. And he gave me the name Maha Mantra. My parents named me Margaret. I, it's a great name, but I hated it for myself. I just, I never identified with it. And um, Kavi Chandraswamy gave me the name Maha Mantra. It's my name, Subal and I both legally changed our names uh, to Mahamantra and Subal respectively. And I'm so grateful for that. Um, but I, I really never took instruction for him and him. He wasn't like no instruction. It just kind of happened that way. Um, so then when I officially approached Guru Maharaj to take shelter of him, um, you know, it'd been kind of this, he said mutual feeling of, of guru and disciple. So wonderful for some time. And he asked me what, what my feelings were, like what my specific path was in bhakti. And what a question, I didn't know. I really didn't know. And then when I, I got to go to Madhav, I'm 42 also, by the way, but two years ago, um, Subal sent me to Madhavan for my 40th birthday. And 
What a beautiful birthday present. <laughs> What's that? What a beautiful birthday present. What a beautiful, yeah. boy, did I cry then. I actually cry very easily. So I'm so happy, sad, all the feelings. Mm. I'm, Krishna gave me a special <laughs> power not to cry. Um, but the, the experience of being there was, was knowing that I am, I am a servant of, of Daoji Gopal and I, I would like to follow Guru Maharaj eternally to their, to their service. Oh, wow. That's very special. And, and the thing of the, the other part of going to Madhavan was I'd been working two jobs for two years worked full-time as a teacher and then uh, had another job at a garden center just to make more money so my kids could do awesome things, mm. <laughs> which no regrets. I would do it again. That's, that's what parents do. But I'd been working really hard and I was tired. I needed to just sit down and chant and, I, and read and study and hear it just needed to practice the bhakti that that I signed up for, mm-hmm. and and that was my experience. I was there for ten days and and got to hear from Guru Maharaj and Padmanabha Swami and other devotees and chant and read and it was incredible. It, it kind of re- redid the foundation. Sometimes the foundation can get a little crumbly. It happens sometimes. I think my foundation was getting a little crumbly and that helped a lot. Yeah. Very good question. Thank you, Madan Gopal. Um, does anybody else have a quick question? We're pretty getting close to running out of time, but we can maybe take one or two more questions. <clears throat> you could unmute yourself and ask it, or Spanish-speaking devotees could have a Cardas ask it for them. Okay, thank you very much. Yeah. Wow, so much, so much um, packed into that interview. Um, very rich. I sort of thought I would I would say things differently, but it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> How you said them was beautiful. Yes, you may, and um, and but let me. I'll, I'll need to say it after you say it so that the devotees. Okay, I hope that's... In in a good way, I hope. (laughs) 
Thank you. Thank you so much. And I'm, I have not overcome, this is still a process, but a process that I'm very dedicated to because I, I see what I'm working towards. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. So I just, for all of you on, that are on Facebook and for the YouTube um, recording, they won't hear what Akura just said, but um, I just wanted to, to just sum it up that he was just really appreciating um, Ma Mantra's interview of how sincere and honest that she was and really inspired him in a lot of ways. And he could identify with a lot of different points that she was making in, in himself. And so that, that was his. And then there is a um, question in the chat, Akura, which um, is in Spanish. Yeah. Okay. So, I'm happy to know you too. <laughs> so that was a, a comment from Anapurna. She had written something in Spanish in the chat, um, basically very similar to what Aquara had said, just really great appreciation for um, all the things that Mamantra shared in her interview. And um, so, gracias. De nada. <laughs> It's the right. only word I know. No. <laughs> mm -hmm. So um, I guess that's probably it, unless there's some last minute anything from anyone. We just uh, kind of will wrap it up. And anything that you would like, well, any last minute thing that you would like to say, my mantra, um, I think you pretty much summed up your your hope to, you know, of how you wanted to help by doing the interview, by giving um, your, your testimony of, of your journey and hoping that it would help some other people, which it obviously we saw it did. Um, any last comments of anything that you would wanna, wanna say? Well, I, I hope that the bliss of everyone's bhajan is forever increasing. Mm. And I, I hope that everyone can stick together and chant together and always forever have the mercy of, of Guru and Garanga and stay in the favor of, of Lord Nityananda. And thank you so much. Thank you so, so much, actually. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so, so much. And um, all the beautiful devotees, thank you for participating. Um, and yeah, we are, we are connected eternally. Gurmaraj often says, gotta get, get along because we're going to be together forever. So friends, <laughs> friends, friends forever. <laughs>
Jai. Hare Krishna. Oh, good to good to see you. Thank you. Thank you. Hare Bo. See everybody soon. <laughs>